Can you all find the book of Nehemiah? It's an Old Testament book, and it's over toward the middle. Let's just find it together. If you can find Psalms, which is the middle of the Bible, and take a left, you can find Nehemiah before too long. I'm reading out of verse, out of chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. Thou in thy great compassion didst not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of, of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. And thou didst give thy good spirit to instruct them. Thy manna thou didst not withhold from their mouth, and thou didst give them water for their thirst. Indeed, forty years thou didst provide for them in the wilderness, and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. Thou didst also give them kingdoms and peoples, and thou didst allot them, allot them to them as a boundary. I think the New, America, the New International Version has it. And you gave them the vast frontiers. The older you get, the more you're inclined to talk about the past. I've noticed that. And kids love that. The best way to empty a room of young people is to start talking about the good old days. It's like, it's like you threw a hand grenade in there and they just scatter. So I'm going to resist the temptation to do that this morning. I do find some encouragement in knowing that some of these days you'll be doing exactly that. Talking about the past. And I am encouraged and comforted to know that when you talk about the past, some of you will recall the day you taught Sunday school and led in worship service at the First Baptist Church. As, as a matter of fact, it really isn't all bad to remember and recall the past. I've noticed how the Bible often does that because the biblical writer does not want us to forget the goodness of God in the past. And so the writer just keeps on reminding us of what God has done for us in blessing us so that we'll not forget to be grateful. And so he talks about a, a, a ball of fire at night and a cloud in the daytime to give them guidance and says, you remember that, don't you? Don't forget that. Don't commit the sin of amnesia. Not only does the biblical writer want us to remember the past so it will not forget it, he wants us to remember the past, recall the past, so we won't be guilty of committing the same mistakes of the past. Santiana says, and I think he's right, that he who cannot remember the past is condemned to repeat it. And so Nehemiah does both. He reminds us of the past so that we can always remember to be thankful for what God has provided for us. And he reminds us of the past so that we'll not be guilty of committing the same mistakes of the past. 
You remember him, don't you? Nehemiah, I'm sure you've heard of him. He's the man that led a bunch of Jews back to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. A hundred years before, at least, the Babylonians came and destroyed their city and took them off into modern-day Iraq, into Babylon, and, and they lived out there in refugee camps. And now the Persians are in power, and so in the providence of God, He allows them to go back and Nehemiah to lead them back and, and to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. It's a high day because the refugees have returned and they're getting ready to reestablish the city of God and the temple of God. And the leaders of the Jews, religious leaders, they are called Levites, gathers them all together on this high day and leads them in a kind of a dedicatory prayer. And in this dedicatory prayer, he, he calls on them to dedicate themselves to God in this new land, remembering the past, both its blessings and its failures. He says three things. He says, never be content with the way you were. Never be content with the way you were. And he tells them for 40 years God led them in the wilderness. And then he makes a remarkable statement. I want you to notice this. He said, for 40 years their clothes didn't wear out. I thought that's pretty, I, I, I read that and I was pretty amazed at the fact that for 40 years they wandered around in this wilderness and, they, and their clothes never wore out. But as I got to reading that, I got to thinking about that. It just kind of leaped off the page. Who wants to, who wants to wear 40-year-old clothes? Can you imagine putting on the same suit day after day for 40 years, you know, long, big wide lapel, kind of plastic, Double knit with bell-bottom trousers. Can you imagine? Can you imagine putting on the same hoop skirt, forty years old, with a little poodle monogram on it, and those little, you know, uh, tie-up shoes with little bobby socks, and that's all you wore every day, day after day for forty years? I mean, how many of you would be willing to wear the same clothes every day to school for five years, even? It really wasn't what God intended for them to do. I mean, He meant for them to live much more abundantly than that. One day a guy came by this church and he was hungry and he was ragged. He came into my office and he said, Can I, could I have some food and do you have any old clothes somewhere? And I said, I did, we, we happen to do that. And so I took him upstairs, and we have upstairs a clothes closet. I took him in there, and I kind of sized him up. He was dirty and ragged, and I, and I pulled out a, an old suit, you know, some suit trousers. I bet those, those things had to be at least 30 years old. And I looked at him, and I said, this will probably fit you. And he, his eyes lit up, his face lit up like the sun. And he went back in, and he said, can I, put, can I put them on now? I said, sure. So he went back in, a, in the restroom, and he came out, you know, and he's kind of, you know, he was just so proud of that. And he had on this 30-year-old pair of trousers, and he was just feeling so great about it. And when he left, I thought, isn't that sad? Isn't that a pity that... He's happy to look like we used to look. I hope you understand me this morning when I tell you that when I'm talking, what I'm saying here is not that God wants you to wear good clothes. 
that's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm trying to tell you is that God does not want you to look like you used to look. And for the first time, I really understood what Paul meant when he wrote to the Ephesians. And he said, if you have really heard Christ's voice and learned from Him the truths concerning Himself, then throw off your old evil nature. Now what he means is that take off the way you used to be, like old clothes, and discard them. The old you that was a partner in your evil ways, rotten through and through, full of lust and sham. Now watch, now your attitudes and thoughts must all be constantly changing for the better. Yes, you must be a new, different person, holy and good. Clothe yourself with this new nature. Can you imagine this scenario? Jesus comes to the grave of Lazarus, and Lazarus has been dead for three years. And Jesus says to Lazarus, come out of that grave, and he comes out of the grave, not walking because he's wrapped up with grave clothes. They just, like a mummy, he comes hopping out of the grave. And Jesus says, loose him and let him go. Take those old grave clothes off of him and let him go. So somebody comes up to Lazarus and starts to take off his grave clothes. And he says, can you imagine this? He says, if you don't mind, I believe I'd just as soon wear those clothes. I mean, I'm kind of, I kind of like this, you know. I kind of like being bound up in grave clothes. I'm kind, I kind of like being dressed in the apparel of death. Can you imagine that? You know what I'm trying to say to you? Listen to me and look right here. I'm trying to say to you that when you hear Christ's voice and He says to you, come after me and live, you can't wear the same clothes that is associated with death anymore. Is there anybody here this morning who would say, I don't want to talk like I used to talk. I don't want to go where I used to go. I don't want to act like I used to act. I don't want to live like I used to live. I don't want to look like I used to look. I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to be content with the way I used to be. Second, he's saying, don't be satisfied with less than the best. Now watch this. He took them around in the wilderness for 40 years, and while they were wandering around in the wilderness, occasionally I can just hear Moses pointing to the mountains and saying, see those mountains there? You were really meant for that. And as they get on the border of the land that flows with milk and honey, the best there is for the best there was for them, and they wandered around in the wilderness, starving to death and, and, and without water. I, I think Moses must have said from time to time, you were, you were meant for that. Why settle for less than that? You see, the biggest challenge in life is not the choice between the good and the bad. The biggest challenge in life is the choice between the good and the best. Why would you be satisfied with the earth when you were made for the sky? 
Why would you be satisfied with the lowlands when you were allotted the mountains? Why would you be satisfied to live here like turkeys when you were created to soar like eagles? That's what Rudyard Kipling was talking about in his marvelous little poem called Explorer, Explorers. It's a story of a man who was looking for the best. And this is how it goes. Listen carefully. He says, there's no sense in going further. So they said, and I believe them, this is the edge of cultivation. And so I, I broke my ground and planted my crops and built my barns and stretched my fences in the little border station where the trails run out and stop. Till a voice as bad as conscience rang on interminable changes, on one everlasting whisper, day and night repeated so, something beyond the ranges, go and find it. Something lost, go and look beyond the ranges, go, anyone could have found it. But his whisper came to me, I wish for you young people, I wish for you, those of you who sit in the balcony and on this place, I wish for you that everlasting whisper that will never allow you to be content with mediocrity anymore. That interminable whisper that will never allow you to be satisfied just to get by anymore. Frank Borum of Australia has a book entitled The Other Side of the Hill. He says that's the oldest question in the world. What's on the other side of the hill? He says, wherever you find a man of God, you'll find him standing and gazing at the horizon, asking, muttering to himself, I wonder what's on the other side of the hill. He said, if you ever find a world changer, you'll find people who will never be satisfied until they have the answer, what's on the other side of the horizon? They're not satisfied they can't see far enough with these eyes. They can't hear far enough with these ears. They can't run fast enough with these feet. They can't do enough with these hands. The world changers, he says, are the people who will stop, never stop short of the best they are and can be. Bob Hayes became the world's fastest human. He ran 100 yards in 9.1. Somebody said, are you ready to retire and play professional football? He said, not until I break, not until I run nine seconds flat. One-tenth of one second, and he wasn't satisfied. Thoralson, the great sculptor, was asked one time, what is your greatest statue? He said, the next one. Chopin, the great composer, would walk up and down the, wall, the halls of his studio biting his quill pen into pieces and tearing up half scores of unfinished music. Why? Because he couldn't write music good enough to please anybody? No, because he couldn't write music good enough to please himself. And that whisper comes. And it comes from the mountaintops, and it comes from the lowlands, and if you'll listen carefully enough, you'll hear it. And that whisper will come to somebody in this audience this morning, and he'll follow it, and he'll become a doctor and find a cure for cancer. And that whisper will come to some of you and you'll surrender to the ministry and you'll go to the seminary and you'll go plant the gospel in the fertile rich land of Europe that is, 
that is scrambling for the gospel with the same hunger as the Kurds scramble for bread? And some of you will hear that whisper and it'll draw you in to the refugee camps in the urban cities of this country where people are as enslaved and impoverished as they are in Iraq. And some of you will feel that tug and that whisper. I hope that for you. Like the little boy was flying a kite one day and it had a string so long that it went up in the clouds out of sight and a guy came by and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm flying a kite. He said, how do you know? He said, I feel the, I feel the pull of it. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who feels the pull to go beyond what they are now. You know, the problem with many of us is, is we get down, we get caught in a rut, we get stagnant, we're in a, we, we get in a rut, and we're afraid that we'll be disturbed. I beg you, allow yourself to be disturbed and become the disturbers of our world that will allow no one to be satisfied with less than the best. One last word, please. What this man is saying is, don't be happy if, unless you leave this world better than you found it. There's some of you who will be leaving high school soon. In the next week, year or two, next week or two for some, the next year or two, and it goes by just like this. You'll be walking out of that prison, that, no, that high school, for the last time. And you will give up what you will only have once in a lifetime. That's the privilege of being a high school student. And some of you will leave this church in a matter of a few months and you will go off and you will never be the same again. It will never be the same again. My question to you is, what are you going to leave behind? There are some people who leave leave it worse than they found it. John Ruskin tells a story about a rainy day and this is the story. Some little children couldn't go outside to play so they were shut up in the house on this rainy day and they invented a game. Don't, don't get any ideas but here's the game. They decided they'd see, they'd play this game and see who could, who could prize loose the most tax from the Victor, overstuffed Victorian furniture. And the one who could get the most tax at the end of the day will be the winner. And so at, 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 at a signal they started and the balance of the afternoon they worked feverishly prizing loose those tax. After a little while the sun came out and they went out to play with pockets full of tacks and the furniture in a shambles. Now John Ruskin wants us to know what the meaning of that parable is. Are you listening? He wants us to see that the world is the room and you and I are the tack gatherers. And we play our little games and this is our game. At the end of the day the winner is the person who has his pockets the fullest. And he says, it really doesn't make a great deal of difference. It doesn't matter a whole lot if you win more tax than the rest person, than the next person, than the rest of them. 
all you've done is committed a sacrilege on your environment. Oh. Now there are some of you, and it'll go by just like that. All of us one day will walk out the exit of planet Earth and we'll take one last glance back on where we've been. My question is, what are you going to look upon when you take the last trip out the exit door? Will you have a pocket full of tax and an environment that you have raped? And some people leave the world exactly like they found it. And that's just as bad. They haven't, you know, done a whole lot of bad, but they haven't done any good either. And so they just leave it exactly like they found it. This is what Moses is, this is what Nehemiah is talking about as he recalls the experience of Moses. He's saying, you sustained them for 40 years in the wilderness. You sustained, you, you kept them alive. I, I got to thinking about that. I mean, that's nothing to brag about. I mean, he just sustained them. He just kept them alive. But who wants to just exist for 40 years, you see? And when I read that, I, it reminds me of the person I know out in, in, in the intensive care ward at the hospital. He's just kind of sustained on life support system. He's, he's, got, he's got tubes in his veins. He's got a breather in his mouth and he's kept alive. But is anybody going to go out there and tap him on the shoulder and say, congratulations guy, you're going to live 40 more years like that. And who would ever go inside of a nursing center and walk into the room of one of those people who is just kind of existing there for year after year after year and walk over to her bed and say to her, congratulations, you're going to live 40 years just like this. And so they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, but the desert is still the desert just like it was when they stepped into it for the first time. In fact, you couldn't even tell they'd been there five minutes after they passed because as they walked by, their tracks were covered by the blowing sand. Let me ask you a question. Suppose you live 40 years and the world is still the same as it was when you got here. Do you deserve any prizes? See, the question that keeps reoccurring is this. To what are we going to put our names? You can go into any town in Oklahoma and you can see somebody's name. Sometimes it's on the water tower. Sometimes it's on the overpass. You know, Fred loves Mary, a big heart. You know how that goes. Sometimes you'll see it on buildings. Sometimes you see it in the public restrooms in every town in Oklahoma. You like to read graffiti? Somebody said he went in a public restroom and there was this scratched upon the walls of the public restroom. To be or not to be, Shakespeare. Somebody came along under that and scratched these words. To be is to do, Sartre. Sartre was a existential philosopher. 
And some wag, must have been one of y'all, came and scratched underneath that and put Dooby Dooby Doo Sinatra. <laughs> the same guy said he saw scratched on the walls of a public restroom these words God is dead, signed Nietzsche. And a believer came along and scratched under that Nietzsche is dead. Signed, God. The question this morning is, to what will you put your name? To what friends? To what relationships? To what ideas? To what purposes? To what program? So that when they see that, they immediately think of you. Joseph Campbell says that my friends live wasteland lives. Listen to me. He said most of our friends are just kind of baffled. They don't know where to find the water. They just drift around in the wastelands, unable to find the source that makes things green. Oh, I love that statement. Most of my friends just wander around in the wastelands trying to find the source of what makes things green. Let me tell you the source what makes things green. It's knowing God and helping other people to know Him. To know God is the greatest knowledge there is. It's greater than knowing the formula for the cure of AIDS or how to build an atomic bomb. It's greater than knowing how to make a million bucks to know God, to get acquainted with Him, to put my name on His and His on me and to help other people to know Him. And when a person discovers the purpose in life that enables him to help people come to know God. He has found the source that makes the desert live. Now I couldn't get out of here without saying this, without saying perhaps a little personal testimony, that there are two kinds of people in this world. They're the people who live wasteland lives. It's like the desert. And they're thirsty and they're looking for that which makes life green. And then there are those who have found it. And it seems to me that those who have found it are the people who have found out how to know God and help others to know Him. And when you do that, then you'll never be, you'll never be content with the way you used to be. And when you do that, you'll never be satisfied with less than the best. And when you do that, I promise you, 
you'll leave this world, this high school, this church, better than you found it. And a missionary, doctor, listen, I'm through. Treated a man who had been in the bush, blind from birth. But in this surgery, he gave him his sight. For the first time in his life, he could see. And he went back out into the bush, of course, to look upon the world and see what he'd never seen before. One day, the doctor heard a commotion. He looked out his office window in the mission compound, the mission hospital, and he saw this man, and he had a rope, the end of a rope, and there were about 10 blind people holding on to the rope. You know what I'm talking about. He had found what makes life green, and he was helping others to it. I've prayed a lot about this invitation. I've had a real burden about this service. I'm going to ask you in a moment, as young people, high school and college students, when the invitation comes, we'll have an invitation. Mark will lead us in it. I want those of you who are listening, now look here, look you right here. I'm going to ask you, those of you who are willing to make a decision today that's like this. I will make a stand for Jesus Christ. I'll put off the old. I will accept as the dream of my life the best God has for me. I will commit my life to Jesus Christ. I want you to get up in a moment when the invitation begins. I want you to come and just stand right here. Here's the invitation. I'll be willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And whatever it costs me, I'm willing to pay. Whatever it requires of me, I'm willing to do. I'll make a stand for Christ. And after we've had a moment of prayer with you here, you don't have to talk to anybody. We're going to go in the chapel and your new minister of youth is going to visit with you. Now it's very important that you understand that it's better never to make a vow you don't intend to keep. And it's better never to make a vow just because somebody else did. And you'll be embarrassed if you don't. If you're willing to say, I'll make, a, I'll make a commitment to sell out to Jesus Christ to stand for Him and live for Him. Be different. Talk different. Go different. Act different. I want you to stand in a moment. Come down here. Would you do it? Mark's going to come to lead us. Listen to our prayer. Let's bow and pray together. Father, I pray that you'll call today to a moment, to a time of commitment, young people, 
who will be willing to say, I will give my life to Jesus Christ. I'll be His. First and foremost, I will follow Him. I'll live for Him. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And I pray, Father, that there will be courage to make that decision today. For I pray in Jesus' name. Now for some of you, listen, it means that you'll, have to, you'll come for the first time. Give your heart and life to Jesus Christ to be saved. For some of you, it means that you'll come and place your life in the church here, be baptized. For some of you, it means just a stand, to take a stand. Say, I want to be that person that God will count on, can count on. Church, Christ, His purpose, His will, depend on. And there will be youth workers here, and they'll be standing here. We invite you to come while we stand to sing. You come.